Welcome to Soul Practice, a podcast featuring raw conversations about our crazy world and real practices that keep us grounded deep in our souls. Soul Practice, Raw Conversations, Real Practices is hosted by Kathy Escobar and Phyllis Mathis. Welcome back to Soul Practice, Real Conversations, Raw Conversations, Real Practices. I'm Phyllis Mathis. And I'm Kathy Escobar. Today we thought we'd uh, jump in the deep end and Mm -hmm. um, talk about an issue that's very close and very personal. And that topic is suicide. So we have a, a person in this room who is, has been surviving the suicide of a loved one for almost two years now. Yeah. And um, I think we're, I'm honored to hear your story again. And I am amazed at the courage that you show when you talk about it. So I'm just going to give you the floor, Kathy, just tell your story. And not that we have a lot of answers, not that we have anything packaged up, but I think that's kind of the value of being human and talking about real things. Yeah, I, I, as you're like just started to talk, you know, I feel it in my soul. I, I feel see it like on your face. I'm sorry. I, no, you don't need to apologize. I mean, it's just, it's just real. And part of, uh, Phyllis and I's love and friendship all these years has just been talking about hard things every Monday and you know we've been friends a long time we've been walking for a long time and so all the ins and outs of parenting and being human and navigating hard things um, but this is a hundred percent without a doubt hands down no question the hardest thing and I still truly can't believe that our son Jared um, killed himself and I it's it's like a surreal feeling yeah and we're almost two years later yeah and it's honestly most days just as surreal yeah as the first month or two um, and I feel so thankful frankly that I've had people like you and the community that I, I have around me and Jose has around us and you know all of our family does at like the refuge and people connected somehow through the years that are safe and are raw and humble and vulnerable people who have known pain too. So I haven't had some of the things that some people have. Um, but I, and I'm grateful for that, but I honor and acknowledge how real it is. And in this past little chunk of time, there, it's just so hard. Life goes on and more people die. Mm-hmm. And I've been watching a little bit. And it's been really hard for me to watch other people grieve, fresh grief. Um, and then navigate it in certain ways that I know they need to. And just like, it's just tapped into a lot of things for me about our story. And just how unique grief is, but how it's all the same. And we all just have to do whatever we need to do to survive. Um, So I'll just say this because we did this, Phyllis and I did this together a couple weeks ago up at Beauty Heals. We have part of our nonprofit um, is running things out of a retreat house up in um, about 30 minutes from here in the mountains. And we did something called Grief Has No Rules and an outdoor experience. And it was really good for me to be there. 
um, with some other people who had great loss of a human and to be outside and to let nature speak and um, that grief has no rules has kind of been the thing that has sustained me since um, October 29th and so on October 28th of 2019 um, I had honestly one of the best days of my whole life in terms of feeling integrated in terms of feeling um, like pretty on solid ground really in my life as an empty nester I um, had a book that I had done and was in production and it was like it's practicing which is part of this and just proud of it and um, just feeling good and it was a Monday that we didn't walk it was really a weird day. I can't remember why we didn't exactly. I think it was weather, super cold. And, um, you know, the police came to my door and I, the, uh, so many things related to after that and the trauma and the shock and finding out how Jared died and he was um, well, a couple weeks short of his 20th birthday. And he's a twin. We have five children and he's, one of the twins, the baby, and I I just still can't believe Jared's gone and yeah. that he left this way. And this is what I want to kind of say about suicide. It really fucks with your mind. Yeah. And it's, in our story, personally, and then I'd just love to hear some of your reflections, so I'm not just going on and on, but the reason I want to talk about it is every story is different. I, our story is one where we just did not have any warning signs. We had no note, we had no, I mean, we had completely quote unquote normal everything. Yeah. <laughs> and so in everybody in Jared's life, like in, in college, knew Jared's intense, super intense, creative person. And so it's not like we were like, oh yeah, smooth sailing. I mean, we have five kids. We know how hard it is to live on this earth. Um, and we work in mental health, both Jose and I. In different ways and so it's not like it was way out there we're like oh this would never happen to us but I can honestly say that it was on none of our scan right now and my daughter had been there just a week before and actually came back and said oh my gosh it was so fun being with Jared and he just like is doing so good and I love seeing him fly and do his thing and so all that to say for us has made it our unique hard yeah but everyone's got a heart. I mean, I know so many moms and dads and brothers and sisters and people who are traveling this road and every story is so different. But I will say out loud, and this is what I want to make sure and say, is that suicide sucks. And it has so much shame attached to it. Yeah. And that I, I mean, I can honestly say I wish he died any other way. Because it wouldn't have this on it. Yeah. And the this is, what did we do wrong? What yeah. is happening here? What's it connected to? Because we just want to line up blame somewhere to relieve our suffering. And, um, and I have tried not to do that because I know that that is a false sense of control. My therapist, I got a really good therapist really early on and I'm so grateful. She's a somatic outdoor therapist. and. Um, she told me something about shame that has really like lingered for me because she said shame is a false sense of control. Yeah. And that the shame protects me 
from the feeling underneath that is so big and hard in the grief of losing a human that I made. Mm -hmm. And so I see how shame is a good coping skill because the more shame I can feel, (laughs) the less I have to feel that grief because shame is a really familiar feeling. And so, you know, I, there's so many ins and outs. I don't want to really take time on all the things. I mean, I've written a little bit about it. It's in practicing. There's things on my blog. But I think today, and why I wanted to talk about it, is because I am really um, disturbed by how little we talk about it. Yeah. Other than it's preventable. Mm-hmm. And... I, I mean, the irony is like just a month before I hosted, we've hosted this for years in different ways at the refuge, suicide prevention things. And, you know, and I, I have to say, I did say at one of the meetings, I was really distressed by something that was shared by the facilitator that implied that it was kind of up to us to, if we did certain things, we could keep somebody alive. And I do agree with that. I think there's a lot that can be done mental health wise to help people do better um, and make it. But I I said, supporting our advocates, I, I need everybody to know, everyone needs to know that you, you can't keep somebody alive for all the way. We can do our best. And like little did I know in just such a short period coming up that I would have to like listen to that. Yeah. Um, and that it's a really freeing feeling for a fleeting moment because it comes in and goes, oh, that's right. But then you don't, it doesn't stick yeah, <laughs> because yeah. of that false sense of control yeah. and wanting to do something. And so um, if there was one thing that we keep learning is that honesty is our best path out. And so talking about it, I actually didn't want to do this podcast and do, you know, 10 episodes and not talk about this because I I have a lot of places to do it in smaller pockets. I've really struggled with what to put on little things on social media because I don't want to process that way. I process more with my friends. Um, but I know there's people out there suffering and I just, I just want to talk about it more and make it more open that several deaths that we've seen like people just haven't said how they died and I don't know I don't know but there's always if people don't see there's usually two things I go to and that's suicide or an accidental overdose and I just wish people would just say it and it's sometimes for our family it's like it's not left us hanging out to dry because we know we're doing the right thing for us but it would help when people are more honest and the moms that I have in my life, I joined a mom's grief group and not everybody has a suicide, but a lot of us do. And I just, I, I just want to cling to them because they're being honest Yeah, and it helps me. Yeah. So yeah. Well, yeah, I have several thoughts. We'll see if I can keep track of them. But the first thing that I want to say is that I have learned from you being up close and personal to this tragedy and this trauma and this loss, that I have learned the value of rawness. Mm. And I think that for lots of lots of us, that's the thing we try to prevent, feeling so raw, so scraped, 
you know, mm-hmm. so out there and bleeding, which is kind of that outward edge of vulnerability. But learn, watching you and your family grieve right out loud with each other, with all your emotions, and saying fuck you to shame basically has been the most beautiful kind of healing example of of truth which is when you're honest when you're not trying to control everything when you're not trying to protect the truth from the truth it's really sharply more painful but it really is the way to move through it Mm. and it takes so much courage to to just say what's real and how you feel and what's true and so watching it has been just a huge game changer for me even in my profession because we like to think that there are so many things ways to talk about grief ways to help help people grieve rules for it stages of it Mm -hmm. and um and things and what to do to prevent it so I loved what you said about prevention because this is a myth we have not just in this but in all kinds of things like with parenting if you parent correctly your children will not have wounds that's a myth I'm sorry it just is and we have this need to control outcomes and suicide kind of just smacks us right up against that wall which is there are many many things in this world we cannot control Mm -hmm. and our need to try to do that beyond what's reasonable is just feeding an illusion we have that we're in charge of our lives that we get to control things and that the the locus of control is inside of us yeah and we get to have control of lots of things, but there there's a threshold beyond which we do not have it. And that's where we have, uh, that's one of the places where we have a lot of trouble with ourselves facing reality, facing ourselves, facing being human, facing death. It's, there's a threshold beyond which the unthinkable happens, which to our minds is something happened we couldn't control. That can't be true, so we must have done something wrong. So our, our brains do this weird thing when we, when we step into that, is that it can't be true that random things happen and we don't understand them. It can't be true that at any time our life could be at risk. It can't be true that loss could be right around the corner. It can't be, so then <laughs> so we have to go back and and feed our illusion of control with judgments plans all kinds of oddness and so that's one of the things that needs to go um and that the thing we fear the most is the in this in the sense of being raw and open with your safe people about all of the things and not be self-protective is the way you actually heal rather than keeping it private, not telling the world, using euphemisms for suicide or hard things, um, actually makes it worse in some ways. 
Yeah, that that I think has been a little bit. Uh, the kids and I have talked about this because we want to honor that grief has no rules. And when you lose a kid, in our situation, or somebody really close, and some other people, like people just need to do whatever they need to do. And so I want to give room for that, but I want to also be a huge proponent that um, the exactly what you said is so accurate that our simpli- simplicities, our trite things, our false illusions of control, our protection, our buffering, all that is, it's actually not helping the future very well either. And I have thought a lot about this related to the kids because these kids are all young. Jared was this amazing leader, like super gifted in leadership. So he influenced hundreds and hundreds of kids, more than that really, if you add them all up, because he had led these these outdoor things um, for a couple of years, and he just um, was like the Pied Piper, and he really cared about community and authenticity and connection and all those things, so he had a big influence on people, and um, I think that the piece that I've thought about related to these young people is that we have a responsibility to them also. Is because I've seen, I mean, I, I, I've gone to memorial services where it's like super sanitized and there's something there that then everyone is left not with the ability to say, what the fuck, Jared? I mean, that is like seriously on our all of our scans. That's like what everybody in Jared's circle is. And I want to say this out loud that I know some people who are like, how can you talk about him like that? You know, he was suffering and he, and I get that. Um, And I want to honor that. And it's not dismissing something about him. It's seeing that Jared had a lot of resources. He had a family that like could be there in a heartbeat. He had a sister who was there a few days before. He had friends that talked about everything and he just didn't do it. And it's okay for us to say, what the fuck, Jared? And it's okay for his friends to say that and to feel like they can and to talk about grief. We went up there on his one year, or not just quite his one year, but almost his one year, um, to with to bring his ashes up to this special place where he um, went to college and we brought any of the kids, we invited any of the kids. And it was a, it was a super long hike, 10 miles, because that was Jared. And so we're like hot yeah. <laughs> and tired. And we're like, how is this like Jared? And Jared did it all the time. It was like his special place. But the kids were all shared with me how important this felt to just be able to talk and feel and like have it be up on the surface. And then we were like, oh my gosh, we needed this. We needed to be with other people who knew him and loved him and understood him and, you know, got him and were there for him. And so I think, like, I want to say we just got to get better at this. Yeah. But I hate, I hate being, having to practice it. Yeah. And I, every day I want to find a way out and then every day I'm like, I can't find a way out. I can find a way to um, make the suffering not um, 
be like the worst of the worst. And I like that Tara Brock thought that like the um, the equation is our resistance can um, pain plus resistance equals, equals the suffering. equals the degree of suffering. And so I can't change the pain, but I can change my resistance to it. And um, and that's been really hard. I'm a pain resistant person. I do like to find a way out. And this one, I like literally do not have a way out. And I, I do believe that it's caused me to do exactly what you said. And that is let go of any sense of making sense. Yeah. yeah. You can't make sense. And when you try, oh my gosh, it's a disaster. And it's a faith disaster in the faith department. And so I'm really grateful I don't have that. I know a lot of people do, but I don't. And that has been my saving grace. Yeah. I mean, it puts us in danger of of just making shit up and believing that instead of what's true. And all that does is sideline us from the real, the real beautiful, terrible reality of being a human being on this planet. Yeah. We can control very very little and what we can control legitimately is our responsibility but what we can't control every attempt we make to try puts us in some kind of illusionary place that we'll just have to get over at some point and sometimes painfully so but we have inside of us almost <laughs> i i think we're wired against death like we are wired in our brains avoid death at all costs death is the enemy and particularly death of a loved one and even more particularly death of a child like in our bodies we are wired to say that ultimately is wrong not okay we cannot do that we cannot face that and so um you're working against your own brain who wants to disbelieve resist and the pain of it is so so sharp that of course people want to protect themselves from that pain and you and you get to mm. at certain points. But when you can um, face what's real and true, grounded in your own, your own soul, and allow the unthinkable to be there, you know, what we think is unthinkable, to allow that, then you're interacting with a reality that can serve you. Yeah. As, as horrible as it is but the the trying to bypass it all the time of course we got to we got to button things up from time to time but trying to bypass it doesn't help and only feeds the illusion of control that i can control how this affects me i can control how this um how i can move on from this how this infects my life and crowds into my existence i can i can make i can control it mm. i can manage it i can push it away it just, you can. Yeah, there'll be a cost. There'll be a cost, but you can. You can. And people, some people, some people need to. But I, I think taking a few things out of our vocabulary has been really good. There's no getting through grief. There's yeah. no getting through grief. There's just learning how to integrate grief. Yeah. There's no stages of grief. That's just such dumb. And Elizabeth Kubler Ross said that wasn't exactly what yeah. I meant. <laughs> um, but there are rhythms of grief, and they are really real. 
and that sixth one that kind of has gotten added is making meaning you know that's become more of a thing and I I do think that is something that helps us is you know telling Jared's story and Jared had a lot of good to bring to the world and I don't I don't want Jared to be remembered for his suicide I want him to be remembered for the amazingness that he brought to the world and to our family for the 19 plus years he had on this earth. And that's the other tricky part of suicide is it puts a little filter in. Yeah. It's a little different than some other kinds of deaths, but we can make meaning and we can tell his story. And I think the other part is that grief just really does not have rules. And so anybody that tries to, tell anybody how to do it exactly and so I always want to be careful about that too I can just say I do think a good writing principle the things that you said are so important is that learning to do this more openly and honestly in our own unique ways would be helpful to society yeah and it could possibly help prevent other deaths this way yeah. because I do think a reason why so many kids are dying is because this world just doesn't help so many people exist unless you're a conforming person mm-hmm. and you learn how to do the world's rules. Mm-hmm. And people who are in other categories just don't have a place here and the way it just becomes too hard. And I've learned that more. I knew that, but now I know it. Yeah. in a deeper way and it really makes me want to make space for blasting out this binary conforming middle class rules you know all the ways that the the world works so um there's so many more things that can be said but I just have to say it really helps me just to talk about it it does and it makes me think as I'm sitting here listening to you like why I'm so thankful for you oh my god because you really are I, just reminding me of this human thing and I hate it and I am grateful for it and I is our only hope is to kind of like cling to each other in our yeah. shared humanity yeah. and to honor um, this one little life that we do have as really precious yeah. as best we can so I want to get better at talking about suicide well I just thank you Kathy for sharing what you have and what you can with us. You really honor us with your story and your open-hearted truth. And I don't, I'm not sure I have anything to add to that except that you demonstrated what a soulful grieving process might look like. And I really appreciate that. Well, I, I feel like I, we're just always practicing. And I am getting a tattoo. I'm actually going up to... Um, Gunnison, which is where my son was, and he had, he was really into symbolic tattoos, and his tattoo person knew him and loved him and is just really special to us because he's from El Salvador also. And I am getting a tattoo this week on Saturday that just says, keep practicing. Oh, good. And that's kind of from practicing, but it's big part of grief. And in just living, like, just practice is best. I can with all the everythings every single day because there's no mastery in any of this shit. So that's what soul practice is all about. And um, thanks for listening. Kathy. 
Kathy Escobar and Phyllis Mathis write, speak, pastor, and counsel, and are dedicated to creating spaces that foster healing and change. You can learn more at kathyescobar.com and phyllismathis.com. Keep listening to your soul and keep practicing.